0: Hello, this is Robert Rickover at Alexander Audio, and today my uh, guest is Dr. Jen Tarr, who is a lecturer in research methodology in the Methodology Institute of the London School of Economics. She has a Ph.D. in sociology from Goldsmiths College, University of London. And she has uh, was previously a lecturer in sociology at Trinity College, Dublin. And she's been a research fellow at the London College of Fashion. Uh, recently, um, uh, the jour- this journal called Sociology of Health and Illness published a fairly lengthy study that jen did on the alexander technique called educating with the hands working on the body self in alexander technique and we're going to talk about that study and some of the implications of it uh jen welcome to the show
1: thank you robert
0: you know uh in the alexander technique world we're not used to having this kind of study made of us. In fact, I have a feeling this may be the only one, an actual academic study of what I suppose might be called, maybe this is the wrong term, but the sociology of the Alexander Technique, or maybe that's the the wrong phrase. Um, I suppose it is, yeah. It, yeah sort yeah, of in, what, in how we function as a group of, individu- of individuals um, Collectively, Uh, we we just don't have that happen very often, (laughs) and so uh, when I saw saw that, I was quite intrigued. And I I guess I wonder, first of all, what prompted you to um, to study the Alexander technique in this way.
1: Um, Well, I was prompted partly out of my own experience as studying contemporary dance, um, which was something I did as part of my undergraduate degree at university. Um, And I came into contact with a number of what we could broadly call somatic education techniques, so things like Feldenkrais and Rolfing and um, Alexander, just a very little bit, um, Pilates as well. And I was very interested in the sort of general ideas about the body and about health that were being put forward in these techniques. And so as I started to think about doing a PhD in sociology and what I wanted to study, um, I was thinking that this was something I was really interested in, that there was really not very much work on it, and that somebody sort of ought to do it. Alexander technique itself ended up being the one that I, I chose Partly, practically, because it was something I didn't have very much experience with. It was the one I had the least experience with. So I thought it was, it was one that I could sort of approach without very much background knowledge. Um, and then it proved to be much more interesting in some ways than I had initially expected, um, and much more, more complicated than I had originally expected, particularly in comparison to other techniques, which sort of formed a background. Um, because of the emphasis that Alexander places on conscious control and things like that.
0: Mm-hmm. And so, um, in reading your study, it seems like you kind of immersed yourself in the Alexander technique. You, you spent uh, time on a training course, interviewing teachers and students, taking lessons. Um, and maybe if you could just say a little bit about that, how, sort of how you gathered your data.
1: Yeah, so the methods, as you say, um, it was predominantly a qualitative study. So it wasn't about generating numbers representing the Alexander Technique, but really about um, focusing on what was going on and what was the culture of Alexander Technique and teachers and students and, and how that sort of gets transmitted between them. Um, so I did, I considered it broadly what we would call in sociology an ethnographic study. So it was an immersive kind of project, Um, lots of what we call participant observation, which is um, where you go and you do something. And that was essentially immersing myself in Alexander lessons and taking lessons like any other ordinary pupil would. And I had about 30 over the course of about a year and a half um, in doing that. And then I followed that up by interviewing various Alexander teachers. Um, and I did, as you said, spend a little bit of time um, at one of the training programs as well to see what was going on there. Um, so through that, I gained kind of a an in-depth understanding of at least part of how Alexander Technique is taught within a U.K. context.
0: Mm-hmm. And you came to some conclusions. Um, I- I'll just summarize uh... From the abstract, uh, the, this, this article, I'm, I'm quoting the abstract now, uh, this article argues that while the embedded practice of the Alexander Technique has much to offer to mainstream healthcare, the discourses and knowledge systems in which it is embedded make it unlikely to receive mainstream medical acceptance. And I, I I, I take that to be one of the main conclusions of your study, and I wonder if you could elaborate on that a little bit.
1: Yeah, so um, I think, I mean, personally, I, I think the Alexander Technique is great. I think it's got lots to offer. Um, and I think that certainly that study that was published in the British Medical Journal begins to provide some medical evidence for that. And, mm-hmm. and we'll and to to, just
0: to interrupt for a second. We're talking yeah. about... Uh, the British Medical Journal study that took was came out about three, maybe four years ago. Yeah,
1: the one in two thousand eight.
0: That was uh, marked kind of the first large-scale, randomized control group type study of the effectiveness of the Alexander technique for something. In this case. Uh, ba- um, Back pain. back pain. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, and so it looks really promising. And back pain is one of those problems that for medicine is notoriously difficult. Lots and lots of people suffer from it. It's a major cause of time off work. It costs an awful lot of money to employers, to um, to physicians, to all these people. Um, but it's very difficult for them to deal with. So something like Alexander Technique has an opening in that. Um, there's a space that medicine really doesn't know what to to kind of do with, so if it was good for um, back pain then that you know that's a potential opening in that way. Um, what I found was that a lot of um, Alexander technique was framed in a particular way and and teachers were not unaware of this um, but that there were lots of discussions about nature and that it was somehow taking you back to a natural your innate natural body um, that there were issues around um, perpetual consciousness that sometimes um, would would look um, difficult to swallow from probably from a biomedical perspective from mainstream medicine.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, the 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 idea that how so the idea that you often hear in the Alexander technique is that what we're we teachers are trying to do is help you get rid of or release unconscious, harmful patterns of posture and movement uh, to identify them and release them so that some sort of natural state could emerge. Is that yeah. kind of what you're talking about? And yeah. and, why, yeah, um, and why do you see that idea as being problematical for medical professionals, say?
1: I think for a couple of reasons. One is that the association with nature is one that is um, very, very common in complementary and alternative medicine. So as soon as you kind of get into that realm and you say, oh, it's natural, it's not, you know, it's not a a biomedical intervention. it it becomes sort of tainted with something that medics already are slightly skeptical about, although there is increasing awareness of complementary and alternative medical techniques um, and approaches. But it's partly um, difficult on that front. It's, It's partly also I think difficult to argue for, in a sense. I mean it is a more natural technique in the sense that it doesn't involve injections or surgery or something like that but the idea that we have this natural body and that um... society does bad things to us and that these are sort of layered on top of this and we can just you know take the the s- social and the psychological things off it and we'll get back to this is very problematic particularly given that the alexander technique is a social technique you know it's uh, it 's evolved within a particular historical time period um, to do something with the body so it's it 's social in that sense and it's it 's transmitted socially between other human beings
0: mm-hmm. and and you uh, i don 't think you use this term, but you allude to i guess what we might call a, a almost a schizophrenic relationship with medicine by Alexander teachers going back to F. Matthias Alexander himself, who on the one hand certainly went out of his way to get medical endorsements and was did get quite a few. Um, but on the other hand, um, one senses that he didn't want, he wanted to to keep his method, the Alexander Technique, pretty separate from medicine at the same time.
1: Yeah, and I think he sort of wanted he wanted the recognition from medicine. He definitely um,
0: wanted the recognition, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But he
1: wanted the recognition as Alexander and rather than just the technique. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And today, I mean, some of the interviews you did with teachers, for example, sort of echo that. You know, on the one hand... Uh, Yeah, it'd be good if doctors knew about it. On the other hand, you know, we don't, we're kind of uh, almost aloof from that kind of thing. Surgery and pills and so on.
1: Yeah, it was very interesting. Um, And I think lots of Alexander teachers were very interested in making the connections to medicine. But some were quite aware that the way that the technique is framed just doesn't really Lead itself um, to that. Medicine is not going to come knocking on Alexander Technique's door. It's going to have to be the other way around. So mm-hmm. getting that recognition is very difficult.
0: Mm-hmm. Now I I did an interview, <clears throat> excuse me, of, of several months ago <clears throat> with a a doctor, uh, a um, pain management specialist at, at Harvard mm-hmm. who was very pro Alexander Technique, and uh, I asked him how he thought the technique would make its way into, let's say, the knowledge base of GPs and that, that sort of thing, and, and a general practice. I mean, how, how it would become something that was known and uh, recommended. Uh, and he said um, he thought it had to come from patients themselves that – people would come in to see their doctor and they would say, you know, I I had this back pain or whatever and I took Alexander lessons and I'm a lot better and that if enough people did that, uh, doctors would say, well, maybe there's something to it. Uh, What do you make of that? I'm a little skeptical myself of
1: that. Yeah, well, it's interesting. I mean, there is a move, um, certainly here, toward a more patient-based medicine and the idea then that instead of where we've had, if we look at the social history of medicine, we've had this shift from where it used to be about patients telling doctors what was wrong with them um, to doctors telling patients what was wrong with them and that that we might now be back to a point where with tricky conditions, for example, back pain, um, patients will be able to tell doctors again what works. Um, I think my impression is that most GPs, many GPs, um still kind of hold it a bit at arm's length. So it's fine if that works for you, but, you know, it's not really scientific, so we don't really take it seriously. It becomes a kind of a black box. We can't know anything about what's in there, you know. Um, We don't really understand what's going on with that.
0: Mm -hmm. And, And I have to say that certainly echoes my own limited experience. I when I I got a new GP a few years ago, and you know he asked me what I did, and I told him, and I gave him I actually gave him a DVD of the British Medical Journal study because he said he had back pain. I said, well, you, maybe you want to watch this, and I I kind of had a feeling he never did, or if okay. he did, he who knows what what he thought of it. I didn't really want to pursue it, but I'm wondering. Um, in terms of making inroads into the medical profession if that's what we want to do there are a couple of things that occur to me that might change the equation a bit Uh, Mm -hmm. one i would think would be certainly more studies of the kind that the british medical journal did and i know there are some at least one maybe two follow-up studies in in the works on that and they're also um i'm aware of at least one other uh, major study that is in, going to happen i'm not really supposed to talk about it but it's sort of a medical it, it's you know going to be that kind of a study of a different thing not back pain and also um i don't know whether you're aware of it but if uh, maybe a year or so ago There was a study uh, conducted at, uh, I believe it's the University of Cincinnati or the Cincinnati Medical Center, where, and this is kind of unique, um, uh, a group of urologists who do minimally invasive surgery Mm -hmm. um, were part of a study to see whether the Alexander technique would be useful, and it turned out to be very useful. And... My understanding is that that study is, is now going to go into a second phase. Now, what's interesting about that is we have actual surgeons saying the technique helped them perform this kind of surgery, which, from my understanding of it, involves very precise Uh, movements of machinery that control the machinery that does the surgery Mm -hmm. and so I mean that sort of thing could cast a different light on it don't you think in terms of absolutely absolutely
1: you know. yeah i mean the one thing that um gps tend to trust is the double blind controlled randomized trial mm-hmm. you know that's kind of the gold standard in mm-hmm. science in general um and without that and it's been very very hard for most complementary and alternative techniques of any kind to get those um, and it's very hard to blind something like that are you getting alexander technique are you getting some pseudo thing that looks like it you know then that's very difficult to do um, but the more that we get these kinds of studies absolutely the more seriously it will be taken
0: and i would think also part of the problem is that in the in terms of um what is the uh, who is it that's teaching the alexander technique i mean teachers are all quite different it's not the alexander technique is not really a standardized product now i think a lot of types of medicine are not really standardized products either but i think in our case it may be more obviously the case and i would imagine that that could throw acceptance off a little bit too
1: yeah, because, it's also partly the way that it's taught because it's such an individualized process. You know, I mean, if you um, if you go to one teacher and, you know, that teacher's been to one training school, you really don't know what else is out there. Other people could be doing all kinds of things and calling it the Alexander Technique.
0: Exactly, um, but exactly. But until
1: you have that embodied experience, mm-hmm. um, you don't know. And teachers tend not to have a lot of um, anatomy and physiology training, um, they don't put it in those terms. Alexander didn't have that. Um, and to a certain extent, he didn't need it to develop the technique. Um, but nonetheless, in order to speak to physicians, that kind of thing is going to possibly be be necessary to do some training in that.
0: Mm-hmm. I think do there's a training. lot of variation in how how much actual anatomy Alexander <laughs> teachers learn in their training or on their own, everything from virtually none to, um, oh, you know, maybe uh, a level of pre-med school anatomy, you know, study, yeah, that yeah. kind of thing. The uh, Another area that I, uh, I wonder about, because I was trying to think of ways around this problem, this dilemma that you posed, um, in the field of neuroscience now, there's an awful lot of um, There's an awful lot of work that ties in quite strongly with Alexander's idea of inhibition, um, Idea uh, studies about um, how the thought precedes the action and how mm-hmm. if you can stop or change the thought early on, you can change the action, that sort of thing. I'm not particularly an expert in that, but I know that... A lot of Alexander teachers have read that stuff and said wow this is this is sort of in a way scientific, maybe not confirmation of Alexander's ideas, but it certainly matches some basic understanding of let's say the thought action interface that Alexander teachers think about yeah, now that also I would think could be a way in maybe not as much into the directly into the medical establishment, but the scientific establishment, such as it were. Absolutely. Are you aware of any of that, or do you have any thoughts on that?
1: I'm not aware of much of it. I know it more from a sports science um, perspective where people talk about um, mental rehearsals, that they've discovered that mental rehearsals of of an action are um, partly as good, at least, that they do something. Um, if somebody plays something over in their head. So, again, about intention Mm -hmm. um, and how that can condition and and teach the body things. Mm -hmm. Um, I think in terms of acceptance within that, again, it's it's a question of, of becoming aware of... Um, what the connections are, and really, Alexander Technique teachers will be—it will be up to them to find those connections, probably, and and bring it to the attention of um, the medical and scientific profession. One of the problems that um, many um, alternative techniques broadly have had um, is particularly when they have a theory of how the body works or um, how physiology works that contradicts biomedicine, and that's where where things really break down. Um, Because um, GPs just can't accept that, you know, something like homeopathy, which has a completely different theory of um, medical practice, can work. Um, So the more that Alexander Technique can say, no, this is potentially why it works, these are the ways, these are the scientific um, Mm -hmm. pathways and that kind of thing, the the Mm -hmm. nervous pathways, then, you know, the more acceptable it becomes.
0: And I think the the developments in neuroscience could be a way of doing that.
1: Absolutely, yeah. tying
0: it in with those. Well, you know, I just um, a few days ago recorded a lengthy conversation with another Alexander teacher, a guy named Michael Frederick. And we were basically talking about the state of Alexander technique teaching and where it's headed and what are some of the pitfalls that, Uh, uh, have shown up. And and one of the things that we both kind of agreed on is that there is sometimes a very strong temptation on the part of Alexander Technique teachers to slip into uh, a a way of talking about the technique that makes it sound like a therapy for back pain or Mm-hmm. Sore shoulders, tight necks, whatever, and of course the traditional view is, I mean, Alexander teachers are pretty usually pretty insistent on referring to themselves as teachers and not therapists, yeah. but um, partly, uh, as Michael said, you know, the the economic pressures of yeah. of things have ki- kind of tempted teachers to almost, it, it, almost say, well, hey, you know, we can cure back pain. I don't know that anyone has put it quite like that, but it's gotten kind of close to that. And we, we both agreed in the conversation that was not a good thing. Um, yeah. but, um, but you could see the, you could see the dilemma on the one hand, if you want to be sort of pure to, uh, to the to the original to the ideas of the technique it might be a harder sell for to people um and maybe a a shortcut would be say well if you got back pain you should take alexander lessons and it's a good chance your back pain will go away what Mm -hmm. what do you see from your knowledge of the technique and your you know your the the thinking you've done about the technique and general acceptance and acceptance by the medical profession. Um, do, do you have any thoughts on that specific dilemma?
1: On the therapy dilemma? Yeah, the therapy uh, dilemma. Yeah, I mean, it's I can see the temptation, absolutely. Um, and I think in some ways it's almost something that Some GPs would be more comfortable with because they can see something as therapy, you know, something like massage Oh, you go, you get it done to yourself. Whereas that idea that you have to learn something, um, that it's health education, in fact, is one of the people in my study put it and I think quite nicely, um, is sort of a less common idea the idea that you would go and and do something and and learn it. I mean, maybe as things like yoga and Pilates have become more mainstream, there's more of an idea of kind of educating your body, not just for fitness, but also because there are certain things that will prevent back pain or or help with your health. Um, Yeah, I mean, I think it's difficult. I, I can certainly see the temptation to slip into seeing it as a therapy. I guess the other thing is that the BMJ study in 2008 did find um, a surprising degree of effectiveness for six lessons rather than, you know, a whole, a large course of lessons. Um, Mm -hmm. They found that six Mm -hmm. was 75% as as effective as uh, 24, Mm -hmm. um, which was quite remarkable. But it's a much easier sell. So if you want to go to a patient and say... um, you know, six lessons and we can probably make a dent in your back pain or things might get better. Um, This is, you know, that's much easier than than saying, well, you know, 30 lessons and, um, you know, you might get so hooked on it you'll be doing it the rest of your life or something like this. It sounds like a much bigger investment. Um, People really have to be committed to that. Whereas six lessons, you don't have to be too committed. So you can kind of bring people in in a different way
0: right and and i would say that if you have six lessons in the alexander technique from a from a teacher that you get along with and is a good teacher um and you decide after six lessons that you've gotten whatever benefits you want from it uh if it's back pain uh, then that would be fine but you may very well at that point realize that you know, maybe a few more would be useful, uh, but you would make that decision at that Absolutely. point. Yeah. So, yeah, that's a good point that you don't have to kind of hit people over the head with 24 or whatever the magic number the was magic in number. that yeah. study. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, is there anything else that you would like to say that we haven't covered uh, in, in terms of your study or your your observations of this whole? Alexander technique and and its acceptance issue?
1: Um, I suppose, I mean, the other thing is really the role of Alexander and how mm. he has, he's been such a founding figure. Um, and I think people have tended to teachers have have not wanted to deviate very much in some cases from what Alexander said. Um, and I mean I think there's a lot of of good in in Alexander's books particularly in his later two. Scientifically, some of it really doesn't hold up um, socially anthropologically I mean a lot of his earlier two books is is quite discredited now um, but holding on to sort of the books and and alexander as the authority figure from whom all wisdom comes um, will also um, hold back the technique i think to a certain extent
0: right and and like a lot of founders of things pilates and feldenkrais uh, and i'm sure many others um, there's some things about alexander that are pretty embarrassing
1: Oh yeah. to put it yeah.
0: mildly uh I today mean... and you know I I to me uh I mean I've had I've heard people say to me you know really the thing to do is ditch Alexander <laughs> which is tough because the, the name you know <laughs> mm-hmm. um but um I uh there I think you're right there is there are there are some teachers maybe quite a few teachers who still kind of make him uh a kind of an icon and if you go to their websites there's a picture of them right on the front page and yeah um and to me that's that's i personally don't think that's a great idea for all kinds of reasons and it yeah. seems to me that alexander you know he's been dead now 55 years or yeah. more than that and a awful lot of pretty smart people have carried on his work and evolved it and mm-hmm. and developed it and uh, you know we could still pay him some homage, but to make him a central figure in our work, maybe not the greatest idea anymore. Yeah. that would be my personal take and 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 there are teachers who who function that way um mm-hmm. there's quite a range of of how individual teachers. Deal with the Alexander problem if they see it as a problem. Some some teachers don't. Some don't. Yeah,
1: know. and I think that's where drawing a comparison because I did a, a bit of interviewing and and um, observation and, and participation in Pilates and Feldenkrais and Rolfing and these kinds of things, um, and talked to pupils and and teachers and it was really interesting to compare because in Alexander technique everybody knows the founding story. You know, even if mm-hmm. you took lessons ten years ago, you remember yep. the founding story of Alexander. Whereas people who'd done Pilates very frequently didn't know anything mm-hmm. about, about That's Pilates. Right. That's right.
0: Um, and I Feldenkrais, I think, a lot of people aren't too clear about the origins of They're not too clear. That.
1: Certainly not if they're um, pupils. When they're, when they're teachers, they tend to know more. Yeah. Um, but, um, and I mean, there are whole debates, particularly in this country, about how Pilates has changed since the original work and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, other techniques... Um, I hesitate to, to say similar, but somatic techniques that work on the body in this way um, do um, have kind of continued on without making the founder such a central figure um, and, and telling that story over and over again. So that's something that, that Alexander Technique has held on to particularly tightly.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, we all know about the the losing his voice in the yeah, exactly. dingy 19th century auditorium with rowdy tin miners and no PA system. (laughs) And it's an interesting story, but um, I tend to avoid it when I talk to new students. I just don't think it's terribly relevant, and it could come up later on, but you know once a once a student has started to make some discoveries and has learned to maybe use the mirror a little bit i could say hey you know you're following in the footsteps of the founder but i don't yeah. like to bring that to bear right at at the beginning well maybe this is a good point to bring our interview to uh, a close um my guest today has been uh gentar who is a um lecturer in research methodology in the Methodology Institute of the London School of Economics and her study uh, educating with the hands Working on the body self and Alexander technique will be available Online on my website in February of 2012 uh, That's just because of a journal restrictions on that but we'll um, We'll put this interview next to an abstract of that and also uh, Jen Tar's email address. If you want her to send you a PDF copy to read, she'll be glad to do that.
1: I'll be happy. And,
0: and you can also, I suppose, subscribe to the Journal of Sociology of Health and Illness and read it in the journal. <laughs> um, Jen, thank you so much for being on the show today.
1: Well, thank you very much for inviting me, Robert. It's been a pleasure.